This has come to the table. Bible studies from the New Testament Christian Church of Cheyenne. These studies are presented every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. at our church at 3800 East Pershing Boulevard in Cheyenne, Wyoming. If you'd like to contribute to these studies, you can make a donation at www.myntcc.org backslash Cheyenne WY dash giving. First Peter chapter 3, praise God, we didn't scare everybody off with last week's Bible study. Because <laughs> last, last week's Bible study, of course, began with those loaded words, likewise ye wives. And so we all know that we love to hear about that sort of thing. But in the interests of biblical equality, he talks to the husbands next. Uh, but let's go ahead and pick it up from the beginning of the chapter just to get our context back. And then we'll dive into the new stuff right away in verse 7. Verse 1, he says, Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives, while they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear, whose adorning let it not be that outward adorning of plating the, plating the hair, plating the hair, and of wearing of gold, or of putting on of apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart, in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. For after this manner, in the old time, the holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves, being in subjection unto their own husbands, even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters ye are as long as ye do well and are not afraid with any Amazement. Now, I know we taught this at length. This was the whole Bible study last week, actually. And so we taught it at length and in great detail. And it is so loaded. It really is. It says a lot, but it speaks to us at a very deep level about how, and I know he's, he's addressing it specifically to wives, but how Christian women, Christian ladies, really ought to be as far as exhibiting their character and their personality. So, well... Uh, I don't think that God should be so concerned with all of these things, but he plainly is. Or he would not have spoken to the Apostle Peter to write these things down in a general letter to Christians abroad. So here we have it. We have a template, and it's not, it's not all inclusive, but we have a template. We have a template on, on how Christian ladies in general, Christian wives in specific, ought to be. So let's move on next to the second, uh, to the very next paragraph. Uh, verse 7. Likewise, ye husbands. See, it's not just picking on ladies. He's not picking on anybody. The Bible is an equal opportunity sanctifier. Amen. Well, I still think it's a tool of the patriarchy. Okay, well, fine. But those kinds of families tend to work a whole lot better, amen? Just saying. All right. So verse 7. Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them. Dwell with who? Dwell with your wives. Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. So once again, it, Peter does much the same thing as Paul, not exactly in the same style, but he does much the same thing as the Apostle Paul does. He doesn't just tell us, tell us what to do, but a lot of times he tells us why. 
Because when you possess an understanding, I know sometimes you just have to obey for the sake of obedience, okay? But it's a lot easier to obey when you understand the why of it, especially when you are of a certain, uh, I don't want to say age, because physical age has very little to do with it, but when you're of a certain degree of maturity in the Lord, okay? You've been saved for more than seven days or more than a year, and, and so you're you're looking for explanations and just wanting a deeper understanding of things. So he says, he tells husbands to dwell with our wives according to knowledge. What does that mean? Dwell with them according to knowledge. Well, how do I put this? Why don't we try understanding the women that we're married to, amen? Instead of just, hey, woman, go make me a sandwich. Now, I tease my wife. I tell her that just to, just to mess with her. <laughs> When we're, when we're picking with each other, go make me a sandwich. And then she'll say something back and then we'll go back and forth. And it's all in fun. It really is. It's all in fun. But really, there's a lot to be said there for trying to understand your spouse. And you can apply this to both sides of the fence too. Ladies, understand your husbands. But I don't think he, I really don't think that it was necessary for him to tell wives to understand their husbands because I think generally speaking, wives do try to understand their husbands because it is in a woman's nature to be more interested in people than in things. Now, that's a general rule. There's always exceptions to that. Occasionally, you'll find some anomalous lady somewhere who would rather tear apart an engine block than understand her husband's psychology. That's not to say that she's not feminine. Just saying that she's a little different in that respect. But usually, women are more interested in people than things. And usually, men are more interested in things than people. Usually, okay? Please don't slay me in your heart if I'm saying something you disagree with. That's just basic psychology there. But he's telling us as husbands who are typically, well, all husbands are men. All actual husbands are men. I don't care what the law says. We know what nature says and what the word of God says. Typically, husbands being men, we're more interested in things. We'd rather tweak a transmission or fiddle around with a computer, paint a house. I don't know. We'd rather do something with something rather than with someone a lot of times. So here's the admonition. Hey, husbands, pull your head out of your work and your hobbies and dwell with your wives according to knowledge. How about having some understanding about their feelings and their motives and the way they think and why they think and the way they feel and why they feel? He didn't command us to make ourselves their slaves. He just said, dwell with them according to knowledge. Because guess what happens when you have a husband who understands his wife better than the average husband understands his wife? You have a much greater degree of harmony. Because then when he's rolling out of bed in the morning and he's slamming around the house wondering why his wife hasn't fixed him breakfast, he remembers, oh, that's right, she's sick. Or, oh, that's right, she was up till three o'clock in the morning working on something for me. And so... You know, or for the family, or, or 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 for the Lord, for that matter. You know, so maybe you know, cut her a little bit of slack. Husbands, dwell with your wives according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife. Now that's something that's also worthy of some meditation. Giving honor unto the wife. He didn't say giving obedience to her. He didn't say. Uh, you know, there's a lot of things that he didn't say, but he says to give honor unto her. How about showing her some respect? She's the one who's washing your socks. You ought to respect whoever washes your socks. Really, 
your shorts and everything else. How about showing some gratitude? And I know you can apply that both ways. And I think that, and I think that we will, you know, if wives and husbands both would just show each other a greater degree of appreciation for what they actually do. Now I get it, right? So maybe you got a husband who's a raging alcoholic and he's not just a raging alcoholic, but he's a violent drunk, right? And so he comes home and he's kicking the dog and you get in the way, he's going to punch you. So understand there's extraordinary situations, but you know, all things being otherwise sane and normal, husbands and wives would just show a greater degree of appreciation for one another. I guarantee you there'd be less divorce. And I guarantee you there'd be a whole lot more happy unions, happy unions, happier unions. There really would be if we could just appreciate one another instead of taking one another for granted. The guy gets up. I mean, if you have if you have a biblically ordered family and all that, you know, and, and everybody's able-bodied and, and, and capable of fulfilling their ordained roles, you know, the husband gets up and he slogs off to his job. Why? So he can earn money, so he can provide for his family. And then he comes home. Well, what does he come home to? Is he coming home to a grateful wife or is he coming home to a wife that is nagging and grousing and griping at him for the 15 things that he didn't do that she thought that he should do rather than saying, honey, I'm just really glad that you went to work today. Thank you so much for earning. And I'm not saying that she should have to say thank you every time he goes to work. Do you understand what we're getting at here? This is the sort of big picture. And likewise, you know, the husband who comes home from working, when he gets home, what's the first thing that he does? Does he start griping at his wife for what she may not have managed to get accomplished during the day? Or does he just appreciate the fact that he's got a woman who loves him and that's taking care of things as she's able to take care of things? Can we just love one another and appreciate one another? Boy, that got, that got, that escalated quickly, didn't it? But hey, here we are. This, this is what Bible study's for. So he says to give honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel. Now that's another trigger word right there. That's another, that's another one that just sends the feminists over the rainbow with indignation and ranting and raving and all of that. Hold on. He didn't say lesser. He said weaker. And this is science. Right with the with the with the comparatively rare exception of female bodybuilders, okay, generally the the woman, physically speaking, is a, a number of degrees less physically strong than a male. It all has to do with what we're built and designed for. There's no inferiority issue that's being put forth there, and therefore there's no cause for offense or for complaint. Why can't we just take the word of God at face value and just say, oh, okay, well, hey, there it is. So he says to give honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel. And I know it's not just talking about physical strength too. There are some other things there where weakness in comparison to a man uh, also comes into play too. And I don't want to gloss over that. We want to deal with the word honestly, okay? It doesn't mean we always have to do it exhaustively, but Bible study is for that. So well, in what other ways are they weaker? Well, women generally tend to think more so with their emotions um, than men do. Men tend to be a bit less emotional about their reasoning processes and the decisions that they make. Put that into layman's terms. Men tend to think more with their head. Women tend to think more with their heart. It's not to say that it happens that way all the time, but it does happen that way a lot. And thank you, Jesus, for that. Really. 
Because as we talked about last week, men, you want to marry some cold, calculating, reptilian-minded woman who's thinking with cold logic and has not an ounce of compassion or whatever operating in there? Did you know that when a man and a woman are properly oriented together in a healthy and lawful and godly marriage, that they complement one another even in the ways that they think and act and react? Because a man will get all business in a hurry and just try to slam something out like a job, okay? And that's fine most of the time when you're working with a transmission, when you're painting a house, or whatever it is that you might do for a living. But when there's human elements involved in that, a lot of times it is the woman, it is his wife, who will remind him and will inform him of the human elements in his decision. Hey, hubby, my love, my dear. This is okay, we can have fun with this, can't we? <laughs> yeah. Remember compassion. Remember mercy. So you see how they can work together and it can make a person. It's not to say that a person who's single is incomplete. I'm not saying that at all. And the Bible doesn't say that either. And again, as we've mentioned many times before, the Apostle Paul speaks very, very highly of the institution of unattachment. He speaks very highly of it. Okay. In fact, he speaks more highly of, remain, of being able to remain single than of being married. But he doesn't condemn marriage. He says, he that marries doeth well. He that can contain doeth better. So just take that for whoever, wherever you sort yourself out in that spectrum, whatever your state is and whatever state you may hope to be in or whatever, whatever the case may be. Just take it all with, you know, I don't want to say with a grain of salt, but take it all as it applies to you and let it speak to your life and let it shape your life. But when they're, when they're together, it has the potential for being far better and far more. When you got a man, when a husband and a wife that are rightly oriented and working in harmony, living in harmony and acting in harmony with one another, say, well, what if I'm single? Well, then you don't have to dwell with anyone according to knowledge, do you? So take it for how it applies. Take it for where you are. Verse eight, next paragraph. Oh, no, 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 no. We didn't finish with this one. So he says to give honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel and as being heirs together of the grace of life. So now he's speaking in terms of a divine partnership or uh, almost, well, I don't want to say a divine partnership, but it is ordained by God, okay, when it's husband and wife. He's speaking in terms of a partnership. He's give honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel and as being heirs together, heirs together of the grace of life. And then he tells us why that your prayers be not hindered. Man, if you're married, you ever gotten into a fight with your husband, if you're married, if you've ever, or if you've ever been married and you've got into a fight with your wife, it's awfully hard to pray, isn't it? Why? Because you just had a shouting match. Oh yeah, well you said this. No, that's not what I said. I said this. Oh no, well you said it like this. Oh well, no, that's not how I said it. You're making me sound like I'm a six-year-old. Well, that's how you're acting is like a six-year-old. <laughs> Is this hitting home with anybody? But there it is, man. It's laid out right in front of us. When, when you're living in a state of strife, and we could even take this outside of, of the confines of a marriage, and you can talk about it. You know, if you, have a, if you have a roommate that you're living with, two guys living together, roommates, two girls living together, roommates, siblings living together. You know, when, the, when you're living in a state of conflict with the people that you're living with, and, and then you... You know, you just finish an argument with somebody and then you, you retreat to your room and you get down on your knees and you try to pray. And man, if ever, it feels like the heavens are made of brass and all your prayers just bounce off the sky and come landing back on your head. It's 
right after an argument. Why? Because the flesh is inflamed and, and anger is riled up and pride and all these things that, that, that come to the surface. The old man just the old man that, that, uh, that the Apostle Paul talks about has just unzipped his own body bag and come up out of the grave. It's the old you all over again. And then you try to pray like that. Doesn't work very well. But when we're living in a state of harmony and cooperation and mutual love with one another, which Peter gets to here in just a few lines, Okay, when we're living in that kind of harmonious state, then our prayers are not hindered. They are not hindered. And then you can enter into the presence of the Lord in a state of prayer much more quickly, much more easily, because there's nothing that then has to be overcome just in order to begin talking to God without, without encountering that phenomena that God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. That's the apostle that said that. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So again, wives, to go back to paragraph one, wives, be in subjection to your own husbands. Okay. Likewise, ye husbands, paragraph two, dwell with them, dwell with your wife according to knowledge, giving honor to the wife as unto the weaker vessel and as being heirs together of the grace of life. Now, he goes into greater detail on that. I know that the first paragraph was much longer, and he talked more about it. And, it, and so one who's prone to offense might think that he's picking on women. But he, gets, he cuts a little bit more to the heart here with the husbands, even in the shorter paragraph. He says, as being heirs together of the grace of life. Again, he's not just being poetic. It is a reminder to husbands, it is a reminder to men that, hey, you may have authority over your wife, okay? to lead as well as to provide for, to make decisions, etc. But that doesn't mean you tyrannize her. He's reminding us that woman you're married to is a daughter of the Most High God. He's reminding us that that woman that we're married to is a daughter of God. She is an heir also. So it's not just through you, O King, right? And I'm only slightly mocking. Ladies, your husband is not your savior. He is your head, but he's not your intercessor. So you're subject to him. You are required by the word to be in obedience and subjection to him. Yes, yes, yes. We're not tearing that down. Trust me, we're not. Too many people have. But your dependent, your relationship with God is your relationship with God. Now, that being the case, God is not going to lead you. The Holy Spirit will not lead you, wives. He will not lead you uh, to live in rebellion and obstinate, obstinate you know, opposition to your husband. So understand, there is a hierarchy there. We can't escape from that. Life and the world is full of hierarchies, and all of us dwell within multiple hierarchies at the same time. And in some of those hierarchies, you're in charge. And in other of those hierarchies, you're not in charge. And that's men and women both. It's like even the guy who's self-employed, right? He's thinking, well, some of them think, not all. The good ones know better. But some people think, oh, well, I'm self-employed, so I don't have a boss. Like, yes, you do. Your boss is your customer. So you're still in a hierarchy, right? Government workers, they're still accountable to somebody. Well, what about the president of the United States? He's still subject to the voters, amen, and to the Constitution. So the only one who's all alpha all the time is God, amen. 
even our Lord Jesus, even our Lord Jesus is subject to the Father because God is the head of Christ. Christ is the head of the man. The husband is the head of the wife. The wife is the head of the children. And she might be the head of some other things too, depending on any other hierarchy that she's operating within, as within, say, a church program or something. Maybe she has a team of children's church teachers. He says, all right, likewise, you wives, be in subjection to your husbands. Likewise, you husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge. Give honor to the wife as being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers be not hindered. So there's still that admonition. Let there be harmony in the home and love in the home. Now, at the beginning of 2018, we actually taught a series of special classes. Some of you, one or two of you might remember. It was on marriage. It was the marriage class. We taught one class at the end of every month. We did that for like three or four months. We, I think we taught a total of four classes on that. And it was a real blessing. We talked about the biblical model, which is also, by the way, the natural model of a family and its structure, its arrangement, who does what and all of that. And it was just a real blessing. But the very first thing that we talked about, those of you who were in class, if you'll remember, it wasn't the authority of the husband, and it wasn't, it wasn't the obedience of the wife. The very first thing we talked about was the thing that lubricates all of that machinery, love. When a husband loves his wife, he'll treat her well. He'll treat her with honor and respect, especially if she acts honorably and respectably. Amen? Likewise, if a wife loves her husband, she won't have nearly as much of a problem saying, Okay, yeah, you bet. Let's do that. Whatever you say, honey. And bring yourself into subjection to him. So it's love that makes all of it not just possible, but even nice. Really, it is. Sometimes it's not always easy. We understand that. All right, now it's moving on. Verse 8. Finally, be ye all of one mind, having compassion one of another. Love as brethren. Be pitiful. Be courteous. Now when he says be pitiful, King James English doesn't mean be wretched. It means be full of pity towards others. That's what pitiful actually means. To be pitiable is a lot of times what we think of when we call some, what we're thinking about when we call something or someone a pitiful person. It means that they're a pitiable person. He tells us to be filled with pity when pity is, ne is necessary for someone. So he says, love as brethren. He says, be of one mind. He says, to be pitiful. He says, to be courteous. Oh, for courteous, for courtesy. What a novel idea for people to treat one another with courtesy and respect and to, and to let our speech be filled with grace, as the Bible says to do. And instead of with blunt harshness and wanting to uh, cause injury or harm to one another's feelings, he says, to be courteous not rendering evil for evil, this is verse 9, or railing for railing, but contrarywise, blessing, knowing that ye are thereunto called, that ye should inherit a blessing. So let's pick this apart for a minute. So this is entry level, I'm bored. Let it be a good reminder for all of us, okay? As we're going through every book, book by book. He says, not rendering evil for evil. So these are basic instructions on how to dwell with one another, and not just living under the same roof, but how to be a part of one another's lives in a Christian community, no matter how small or how large that it is. We could be a mega church with 5,000 people. Granted, Lord Jesus, 
5,000 people that really love the Lord. Or we could continue to be a smaller congregation, a much smaller congregation, no matter the size of the Christian home or of the Christian church. These are instructions for all of us to take to heart and let it shape the way that we treat one another, not rendering evil for evil. So somebody in the church does somebody else in the church wrong. How does the one who is wronged react to the one who has done them wrong, whether it was done intentionally or not? Are we to render righteous payback? So Brother Anthony punched me in the nose. <laughs> well, I'm going to punch him in both his noses. Wait a second. <laughs> he only has one nose. Well, I'll punch him twice then, rendering evil for evil. That's not what we're supposed to do. The way of Christ was never about payback, was it? Or else he would have called and the Father would have sent ten legions of angels and wiped out the entire Roman Empire if that's what needed to happen. It's never been about righteous payback. It's been about forgiveness because that's what really, it's not about settling scores. It's about wiping those scores clean, loving one another with the love of Jesus Christ. Not just loving, well, it's it, it's tied into loving our neighbor. You want to love your neighbor, you want to love one another, love your brother and sister in Christ, love your pastor, pastor loves you. So why'd you do that? So that nobody feels like they're being picked on. And so that I know you guys have got my back. Not rendering evil for evil, nor railing for railing. Now what's railing? Is it talking about the thing that keeps you from falling down the stairs? Of course not. You know what it means to rail against something or to rail on someone. That's when you unleash with your uncanny vocabulary and you give somebody five pieces of your mind. All five pieces. And now you don't have any pieces left for yourself. Railing. That's when you tell somebody off. Look, buddy, I'm going to tell you the way it is. And you just lay down. And what do you have? you got two guys. And it's almost always guys. But girls do this too. Just button heads. Mm, that's so Christ-like. He said with sarcasm. Not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing. But contrary-wise, blessing. Somebody goes off on you, why don't you give them a blessing? Say, well, well that's that's completely that's completely foreign to me. I can't imagine that. If someone goes off on me, I'm gonna go right back off on them. Okay, well now you're still in the mindset of settling scores rather than being in the mindset of being like Christ. Because they went off on Christ. They ran him through at least two different kangaroo courts before they beat him and nailed him to a cross. And he sought no retribution and did not even defend himself. And the things, what few answers he even gave were just things like, thou sayest, my kingdom is not of this world. He never presented himself as a threat to authority. All right, let's move on. So not rendering these things, but contrarywise blessing, knowing that ye are here unto called. We're called unto this. And this ties into what he was talking about in the previous chapter, when he was talking about submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme or unto governors, etc. And when he says to honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. And servants, be subject to your masters with all fear, and not just to the good and gentle, but also to the froward. And where he encourages us that he encourages us that if we have to suffer wrongfully for something, then we take it patiently rather than rising up in indignation and flipping over tables and telling people how it's going to be. 
you know, he encourages us to pursue the path of Christ in our behavior. And that all that comes together in this as well. So not rendering evil for evil, but blessing instead, knowing that we're called to that. Why? That ye should inherit a blessing. When we do react the right way to things and we do act the right way towards one another in love, then there's a blessing in that. And sometimes that blessing comes immediately. Sometimes it comes much later. Sometimes it's small. Sometimes it's large. But we know that if we do things right, God's got your back. God's got you covered. And he'll answer prayers you haven't even prayed. And he'll make provisions where you didn't even realize you needed them. And he'll answer prayers. And he'll make things happen. He'll open doors for you and so on. Verse 10, let's move on. For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that they speak no guile. Because guile speaks of deceit, doesn't it? it? Speaks of cunning and manipulation, guile. That his lips speak no guile. Let him eschew evil. Okay, there we are with that, that old English. Eschew, does anybody know what that means? I know. You know, we'll just pretend like nobody knows so we can look it up and you'll know. It basically means avoid or have nothing to do with, but let's actually pull up the definition. Eschew or eschew. Gesundheit. <laughs> to avoid, it's a transitive verb. Oh, I didn't know that. To avoid habitually, especially on moral or practical grounds. So it speaks with a bit more specificity than just the word avoid, but it's to habitually avoid to never make an exception for it, to make sure that you don't have anything to do with it. Eschew evil. He says, let him eschew evil. Let him avoid it habitually, have nothing to do with it, and do good. This harkens back to Isaiah chapter 1. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. It's a two-way street. You can't just stop doing evil. You also have to learn how to do good. Neither can you just learn to do good. You also have to cease to do evil, right? Because good and evil are not going to coexist. We don't do the yin and yang thing in Christianity. We really don't. You know that symbol with the white swirly and the black swirly, and, and the black swirly has a white dot, and the white swirly has a black dot, and it's supposed to speak of balance and harmony and all those things. And just go buy a book of yoga and sit on the beach in your skin tight thing, looking out over the over the water. Um, get that junk. They're trying to sell you an image. There's nothing to that. Okay? It isn't like that. There's not supposed to be a balance of light or darkness within the heart of a believer. There's supposed to be no darkness at all within the heart of the believer. Say, well, I don't think I can achieve that in this life. Yes, you can. Because when Jesus comes in, he drives out that darkness. And so we can be that if we're willing to be. He says, let him eschew evil. Well, there's our commandment right there. Let him eschew evil and do good. Let him seek peace, as opposed to war and hostilities and conflict and drama, etc. Let him seek peace and ensue it. For the eyes of the Lord, and this is what I want to get to, and we'll bring this to a close with this verse tonight, and we'll teach on this. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous. Think on that. So, well, God watches over everybody. Not the way that a lot of people think. Maybe to one extent or another, the Holy Spirit trying to convict and convince and bring people to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. 
but he says the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous and his ears are open unto their prayers. But the face of the Lord, the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. So let's make no mistake. Let's not be in any way deluded concerning God's attitude towards people, sinners, and believers. God is against the sinner. It's not that he wants him to be destroyed. He doesn't want to judge them. He's not looking to, to send people ruined into a Christless eternity. But he is against their deeds and he is against their fallen state. But it is for their fallen state that Jesus came to change. Amen? Because that's what salvation is all about. So that we're not fallen anymore. So that we're in a state of grace with God and a favor with God. All because of Jesus Christ. The eyes of the Lord are over the righteous. That's a very comforting thought. Remember that in your next battle. Remember that in your current battle. God knows what you're going through. And his eyes are over you. He knows. He sees. And he says here, his ears are open unto your prayers. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. So how do we want to sum this up and put a period on it tonight? Wives, be what the Lord has called you to be. And one of those things, there's no avoiding it. And I'm not trying to ride this horse too much because, again, we were talking about husbands predominantly tonight. Be in subjection to your husbands. Keep harmony in your relationship by being more agreeable with the man. Okay? And then likewise, husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge. Strive to understand them. Love them. And don't think that they're silly and they're stupid because they're not. Okay? And then all of us, so he talks to the wives first, talks to the husbands seconds, and now he talks to every single one of us as believers in the body of Christ. All of you be of one mind. Now, that's a little tricky in our church because we've got folks in from all kinds of different church traditions, and we all try to bring everybody into a common understanding of the word so that we can be in agreement, so that we can be of one mind. So we're not an interdenominational church. We're just a church. That's all we want to be. It's just a church with brothers and sisters in the faith, loving one another, praying for one another, having each other's back, being a family and a community. Be of one mind. So wives, husbands, and then ye all have compassion one of another. Love as brethren. Be pitiful, be courteous, not rendering evil for evil, etc. But we want to treat each other right. Remember, the first two commandments, or the, or the first, the greatest commandments. Love God with all that's in you and it's all that you are, Jesus' words, with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then the next one was, love your neighbor as yourself. And so, there you have it. I think that's a good place to bring it to a close tonight. Thank you for listening to Come to the Table, Bible studies from the New Testament Christian Church of Cheyenne. Included in these presentations are red-letter studies on the life and teachings of our Lord Jesus Christ, historical studies on the Old Testament, topical studies on biblical doctrines, and practical studies on Christian life. If you enjoyed this presentation, you can support our efforts by contributing at www.myntcc.org backslash Cheyenne WY giving.